Hello and welcome once again to the third outing of our little Best of Worst of British mini-series. So from the makers of Bobob, it's been Bondwob, where myself, Lorca Mullen, and my co-hosts... Well, if you're like the James Bond of this, that makes me the money penny, right? Well, well be the Felix Leiter, maybe. Ah, uh, I prefer money penny. Hello, I'm Tom Hodkinson. And we have been discussing other Bond films from the past. We talked about Sean Connery's Diamonds Are Forever... And then we moved on to Roger Moore's Octopussy. Unfortunately, Timothy Dalton, we're going to have to skip over you a little bit because we're moving on to the third. And for my money, sort of my... You know they always say your favourite Doctor Who's the one you start with? I guess for me, this is sort of my bond. So I don't know if I'd say he's my favourite, but he's definitely the one I have kind of personal affection towards, maybe more than anyone else. Mm. It's Pierce Brosnan with a film with which I hold no affection for, Die Another Day. Your freedom came at too high a price. The mission was compromised. The same person who set me up then has just set me up again. So I'm going after him. Got your attention. Tell me what you know of James Bond. He'll light the fuse on any explosive situation. Tell me the diamonds. They'll blow it all at once. What happened to you? and be a danger to himself and others. I'm going to let him mix things up a little. My friends call me Jinx. My friends call me James Bond. Wow, now there's a mouthful. Who sent you? Your mama. Glad you could make it, Mr. Bond. I see you don't chase dreams, you live them. One of the virtues of never sleeping. I have to live my dreams. Time to draw the line. Well, it seems you've become useful again. Maybe it's time you let me get on with my job. So, this is where they keep the old relics, then, eh? Twist so, voila! No, you're cleverer than you look. Better than looking cleverer than you are. James, be careful. A nice palace can be such a treacherous place. I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. Must you touch everything? Would you like to show me more? Kill him. Now! 1,000 meters in closing. Put you back in third, huh? Let's get down to business. Looks like we're going down together. Not yet! Tom, with you, uh, is Pierce Brosnan a personal favourite, or are you not really of that nostalgic point of view? The first Bond film I ever saw was Golden Knight, and I got hooked very instantly, so Pierce Brosnan is my Bond. Well, that's good. Let's see if he's the, the third part of this show. Thomas, if you want to introduce our guest for this episode. I will! Thank you very much. This is where I get to be professional. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, from the Dinosaur Man podcast and your worst personal nightmare... Please welcome Mr. Andy Hughes. Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm entering like a boxing ring or something. I'm, <laughs> I'm delighted to be here, like huge fan, long time listener, oh, first time caller. My favorite thing about this podcast is you made me hate on the buses with a feeling that I've never felt before. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it, but I hate it. <laughs> like I used to see Trust buses me. and just be like, oh, you. 
<laughs> that was entry level. That was like first day sort of, oh, oh, British films are terrible. You've not been down the rabbit hole like us yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You haven't seen the zombie women of Satan that we've seen. <laughs> zombie women of Satan. <laughs> so, yeah, to continue on with our conversation, yes. Andy, uh, thank you for joining us with this one. Are you a Bond aficionado personally? And do you have any kind of affection towards Pierce Brosnan in particular? Um, huge Bond fan. Um, like, Basically, I've spoken about this a lot on our podcast, which was Bond was basically mine and my dad's thing. Like, we would watch, every time the new Bond came out, we'd watch it together. And we watched them all. And, you know, some people would say, oh, we watched Star Wars together, but we were Bond. Me and my dad watched Bond. And Brosnan was my first one. Like, I remember Goldeneye being this f- amazing film that, like, really opened my eyes. And I always say Brosnan is my favourite. Do you see it at the cinema? I want to say yes. I want to say yes, but I don't know. Um, I might uh, have been too young. Yeah, Tom, you'd have been five, wouldn't you? So I imagine yeah, you wouldn't well, I mean, have Andy's, seen it. Andy's just like a month older than me, so we've both been <laughs> about the same age. My dad is irresponsible, but I don't know if he's that irresponsible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in an edited version, shall we say, on television at some point. But go, just going back to what you said, Andy, there are so many people that I know that have a similar relationship to James Bond in that it's... Like a father and son. Yeah. It was Aaron mentioned that, didn't he, in his fir- in the first episode? Aaron said yeah. thing you watched with his dad. Like one of my best friends, Tom Hatton, he, he does the same thing with his dad. They'll regularly go to Bond screenings together and watch the new one every time it comes out. So it's it's mm-hmm. it's nice to see that there's this like traditional side of things that everyone's got that sort of vibe to it. The thing with Bond was my mom always preferred like cause my mom was this thing that she hated violence in movies and me and my dad loved action movies so bond was something that could go on and there wasn't too much blood there wasn't too much kind of profanity or anything and we could watch it and she could be in the room so it then became a thing of like oh me and my dad are able to watch these action movies while my mom's there and not have to kind of only stay up late at night and watch them when she's not when she's gone bed so it was this kind of thing of as a family we could all just kind of sit and watch bond so it was like a happy compromise sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Again, this is where the age gap kind of comes into play with, with a lot of the people I do podcasts with, <laughs> being the elder statesman usually. Like, Goldeneye, I know for certain I saw it in the cinema, and there was that sense of excitement when the lights went down of getting to watch a Bond film at the cinema. Because like we were saying with Mary and with Aaron, and I would assume with yourself as well, Andy, Bond at that time was something that you just saw on the telly on bank <laughs> holidays and summer holidays and Christmas holidays. Yes. And it all sort of blurred together. You know, like I've said, it's sort of iconic <laughs> moments and scenes that I remember rather than plots and films themselves. So then when I just got to see like a full GoldenEye film in a darkened room in the cinema with my mates, mm. uh, 11 years old I would have been at the time, that was so exciting. And so Pierce Brosnan became the definitive Bond to me in that sense because it was the first one I got to see at the cinema. And I'll always remember watching that bungee jump scene. Like yes. immediately, it's one of the true great set pieces of Bond. And it's weird actually seeing a scene in this film where someone dives off a very high balcony and how far we done fall <laughs> in a metaphorical <laughs> sense rather than a literal sense in this one. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Did you skip Dalton because his films are arguably both good? Well, I didn't skip Dalton. I was too young. I was so uh, like. Oh no! I, I meant in been... your series of Bond. Oh, recaps. we didn't. We didn't. Yeah. Well, we felt we only wanted to do four, and we thought you got to hit the iconic ones, mm-hmm. which are Connery, Moore, 
Brosnan and Craig. And all of them have done Bond films that are notorious for their poor quality in some <laughs> form or another. You know, it says the majority opinion. I mean, it, this is this is going to be a bit of a reference to later on in the episode, but like Icarus, they too flew too far to the sun <laughs> and fell dramatically beneath. It's like, I, I don't dispute that it's almost certain that George Lazenby himself is the worst Bond, as far as the worst actor to play Bond, and we got he only got one film to try and imprint, and he never did, got the chance to, really. Yeah. But I will also counter that with saying, and this is becoming increasingly the prevailing opinion, on Her Majesty's Secret Service itself is either the best Bond film or right up there with the best Bond films. It's up there, yeah, absolutely. I think you can argue that it's the it's the best film, but not necessarily the best Bond film. I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> it's the best film that's in the Bond canon, but it's not what you expect from a Bond film itself. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, still probably wouldn't go that far, but I, I agree with you. It's it's definitely up there. Like I think, yeah, it's probably maybe the wrong Bond for the right film. Could it be suggested that the reason it did so poorly at the box office was really it was just a case of circumstance, like people weren't quite ready. Yeah. to let go of Sean Connery and that's yeah, partly where he came back for Dumbs Up Forever as well as the money <laughs> yeah of course and that's why I was saying in the in the previous one that Roger Moore you could argue is maybe the most important of all the Bonds because he was the one that proved that you could do it without Connery and that if it hadn't been for Roger Moore we wouldn't have got a Dalton and we wouldn't have got a Brosnan necessarily absolutely and with Timothy Dalton I don't think everyone always sees that as kind of a case of poor timing and not quite finding their feet but not to the point that you would call I think a lot of people dislike License to Kill in many ways because I think like Honor Majesty's Secret Service it's not as Bondian as the rest of them but then there are those that will say it's one of the very best films again I love Dalton's Bond I think it's a, I think he's probably my second favourite Bond there was a poll recently, and I think he came second to Sean Connery. It was either him or Pierce Brosnan that came second. I remember being really surprised at that result, that the top three... Well, number one is Connery's never a surprise, but two and three being Brosnan and Dalton did surprise me a little bit. Because I thought the prevailing opinion at the moment is that Brosnan had, like, is not that good a Bond, unfortunately. <laughs> Especially in the hit ratio. Like, yeah. Rosen himself essentially says that he loves Goldeneye, and the other three are sort of a blur for him. Like, if you go for a hit ratio of good to bad, he's batting 0.25 in the eyes of a lot of people. <laughs> the, you know? the, the problem there is Goldeneye was so iconic that it's yeah. hard to measure up the other films against that. Yeah, and also its iconic nature was almost separate of Brosnan and even the film itself in many ways because to a lot of people, Goldeneye the game yeah. is <sighs> one of the greatest, if not the greatest video game of all time. Never go back. It's bad. Sorry, guys. I, I get the fact that it revolutionised multiplayer, and I get that, but like now it's not a very good game. <laughs> I I'm not a gamer, basically. My brother had an N64, so that was the only time where I was really playing any games with regularity, and, and one of them was Goldeneye. Mm -hmm. I've joked in the past that I think it's responsible for at least one of the downgrades on my A-levels. <laughs> I just adored it, and it was like, I got to be James Bond. I don't yeah. think there's any purpose in playing computer games anymore. Isn't that what they were designed for? Well, the correct answer for best Bond game is 007 Nightfire, which me and Tom played for God hours. damn right it's Nightfire! <laughs> like, we played it for hours, and you'd play as Odd Job, and you'd throw your hat at each other from <laughs> further and just further distances. Oh, man, the hours we wasted on Nightfire that were glorious. <laughs> How recent was Nightfire then? Was that one of those ones where they got... Because I remember they got Brosnan in to do a computer game that wasn't an official film, didn't they? And the same with Tame with Craig, I think. And they've also inserted Craig into an updated version of Goldeneye. Yes. They, 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 did, they did that. They did uh, Nightfire to sort of coincide with Die Another Day. 
Mm. It was around the same time they got released. It was on the PlayStation Two that mm-hmm. we we became familiar with it. Well, two, no, yeah, two thousand two, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had Pierce Brosnan's image, but the voice actor in the in the game was uh, the lead from Grease Two. Ah, oh, okay, Perfect. that's cool, Phil. <laughs> but yeah, to circle back to your original question of like how much of a Bond fan, like I. I love Bond. Like I think it's it's kind of the thing that I forgive more than any other film. <laughs> I know that there are crap Bonds out there, and I know there are terrible Bonds, but I forgive them all of their ills. Like I've got books on Bond. I've got as many kind of like pretty much all the Bond games. Like, I collect all this stuff. I get why there's people who watch Star Wars films, and I compared Star Wars because they're huge fandoms. But people who watch Star Wars and they forgive like their bad Star Wars films. Oh, I don't know if they do. I don't know if they do. <laughs> I'm sat there going, but this is bad, guys. Like, we can all see this is bad, can't we? And they're like, no, no, it's great. Like, I'm like that with Bond. Like, I will always find something to like. Was it a struggle with this one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hadn't been back to die another day in a long time. And yes, there is problems. <laughs> yeah, it's also a funny coincidence as well for me. I have a, I have a crazy good memory of remembering not only if i saw a film at the cinema but which cinema i saw it in and all that and since golden i die another day was the only one that i didn't see at the cinema i'd just Mm -hmm. gone to university around that time again aging myself so i just didn't have the time or funds really when there was pizza to be bought and you know (laughs) it's a it's a good compromise overdrafts to run into the ground already what i have to pay this back <laughs> yeah i mean look, at our age we would have been about 12 at its release yeah i got tomorrow never dies on vhs and then i went to the cinema for world is not enough and i remember distinctly thinking this is a bond film i actually don't want to see i'd read all about the the markups in the press about how like Halle Berry is coming out the ocean. I was going to pay lip service to all the 40 years of Bond films. Mm-hmm. It's going to be little bits here, there, and there. I thought, I just want a good film. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Wait, thinking, how old were you when you saw The World Is Not Enough then? Were you eight or nine? I was nine, yeah. Mm. Did you get why everyone was laughing at the last line in that film? <laughs> <laughs> I was there like, Christmas does only come once a year. What are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> We're having more Christmases now? Why are those teenagers at that giggling? <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> like, I don't get that though, Tom. Like, when you talk about, like, you and saw all the kind of stuff about the film. At 12, I wouldn't have had a clue. Like, now I look at films and I maybe read up on them beforehand... But back then, I hadn't got a clue, so I was just like, new Bond, yes. And like, because our family were cheapskates, we used to have all the Bonds taped off the telly. Nice, yeah. So you'd have to fast forward through like the adverts. Did um, you have them in long play or short play? I'm gonna... And then you put them in a short play player. It's, Hello, my name's Bond, Charles Bond. <laughs> I don't know. Tell yourself, Nostra. But like, it was, you know. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to tell. <laughs> it was like £5 for like 10 tapes, or you can go yeah. and buy the actual VHS. And it's like, no, we can just record this off ITV. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like, and I wore those tapes out massively. So yeah, I was, as soon as it came out, like, World is Not Enough, I was there like, oh, this is a great film. Robert Carlyle is a menacing villain. <laughs> he's a legitimate threat to the world. <laughs> How times have changed. Sure, he's only five foot six, but you know. <laughs> well, I remember as five a kid. Five foot six of pure terror. 
I was freaked was, out by the fact that there was a guy who could feel no pain, and that was like the yeah. scariest thing for me. But didn't you feel like they screwed that up? Like when he fought Bond, he would still be kind of knocked to the ground and everything. And I get that there's a difference between being pained and being like knocked about, but it was still I'd never felt like they did enough to that. I think they always crammed too many things into a lot of the Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Bond films. Like having a main villain who's Korean but doesn't look Korean and is unable to sleep. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh no, we'll what a that. character development, what a treat. <laughs> the man has insomnia. <laughs> I could be a Bond villain is what we're saying. <laughs> I just like the idea of him walking around with just a mug of coffee at all times, throwing it in Bond's face when he particularly pissed him off. <laughs> Not right now, James. I'm a little bit sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a large cup of coffee and what's in it? A shitload of Pro Plus come at me Bond <laughs> the Bond villain is Ed Norton at the start of Fight Club <laughs> a Bond villain in all of us Meatloaf as his uh, muscle henchman that's alright Cornelius <laughs> anyway so let's get into Die Another Day itself we'll continue to bring other references and things in but I wanted to take another crack after my miserable outing in my second attempt with Octopussy yeah. to see if I can do 007 in 107. so far. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the first one I think was off by 25 seconds, but the second <laughs> one was almost double the time. Hey, you're the one that set this challenge. It's up to yeah, you, Yeah, I man. did set this challenge. It is my fault, but uh, I mean, I'm yeah. going to try it again. 007 in 107. Die another day in 107 seconds. Have you got your time already? I'm ready. You've got to go in three, two, one, go. 007 infiltrates a North Korean military base where fanatical young colonel Tan Sun Moon is trading weapons for conflict diamonds. Bond is quickly identified by an unknown source and captured. Bond attempts an escape, wounds Moon's right-hand man Zhao, and appears to kill Moon, but is recaptured and tortured for 14 months. Bond is released in exchange for Zhao. M informs him that he's under suspicion for leaking information. Believing himself to be set up, Bond escapes, discovers he's in Hong Kong, and learns from a Chinese agent, posing as his longtime concierge at his favourite hotel, that Zhao is in Cuba. Bond travels to Havana, meeting a mysterious woman named Jinx along the way, and they have sex. They both make their own way to a genetics lab, where Bond sees Zhao is halfway towards having his appearance completely changed and attempts to kill him. Zhao escapes but leaves a cache of diamonds that Bond traces to billionaire business British man, uh, billionaire British businessman, Gustav Graves. Graves comes to, came to his love very recently, discovering a huge diamond hole in Iceland, the country. Bond meets Graves, where the two engage in an aggressive duel, halted by Graves' assistant, Olympic gold medal fencer, and recent MI6 hire Miranda Frost. MI6 is suspicious of the very suspicious Graves, and reinstates Bond to investigate further. Bond travels to Graves' ice palace in Iceland with Frost. He once again bumps into Jinx. Graves introduces a new solar-powered orbital satellite called Icarus that can provide year-round sun for crop development. Bond has sex with Frost, whilst Jinx tries to do her actual job as an NSA agent, only to be captured. Bond rescues her, and they both discover that Graves is the long-thought dead Tan Sun Moon, using the same reconstructive surgery that Bond saw Zhao have in Cuba. Before Bo- Bond can deliver justice to Graves, Frost reveals herself to be the double agent who identified Bond in the opening scene. Bond escapes before they can kill him with the help of his invisible car. He kills the pursuing Zhao and saves a drowning Jinx as the Ice Palace mounts from Icarus's rays. Bond and Jinx stow away in Graves' cargo plane in Korea. Graves reveals his true identity to his Admiral father and his plan to use Icarus to help North Korean troops invade and conquer South Korea. His father disowns Graves and Graves murders him in return. Bond and Jinx thwart their attack. Jinx kills Frost and Bond kills Graves. Bond and Jinx have what must be quite rough sex on a pile of diamonds and Money Penny uses billions of pounds worth of government spying equipment to have a wank. The end. Do you want the official time? I do want the official time. You completed that in two minutes, nine seconds. I think it's billionaire British businessman that threw you out. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 why give myself something so alliterative? Yeah. Billionaire Brit- British, Britishman. No. <laughs> 
I mean, if you'd been if you'd been Buster Braves, I'd have been really screwed. <laughs> yeah, Buster Braves. <laughs> it's uh, Buster Rhymes' friend, isn't it? So I think one of the one of the things I was saying about Bond in the previous episode is that the whole Bond series, every film, is a reaction to both the previous Bond film and the prevailing culture at the time. <laughs> you know. So whenever something's a huge success, then they lean into that success. Whenever it's a huge flop, they try to step away from it. The super serious, violent nature of License to Kill made them realise that people kind of want more classic Bond. So that's where they went with with Brosnan. And that's the thing that I think is interesting with Brosnan himself, is that I don't think you can easily identify his Bond as something unique. It feels like... Brosnan is so good-looking and so perfect for the role that he's almost like if you took the weekly cartoon strip of the Bond character Mm. and brought him to life, he'd look like Pierce Brosnan. So it feels like he was almost genetically engineered in the lab and they're saying, all right, we want you to be 55% Connery, 35% Moore, and 20% Dalton. You know, can you do that for us? I don't know if my maths adds up there. And you know what? Bloody works as well. (laughs) But you get where I'm coming from. It's a bit harder to identify what made Brosnan unique other than just playing up to what everyone's idea of Bond is. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I think he does suave and the cockiness of Bond really well. It's if you ever tried to give Brosnan something more with teeth. And he apparently he petitioned to try and go darker. Yeah, you can tell it with every performance that he's got striving for something that the film itself... But I don't know if he can do it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure he could either, to be honest. And the thing is, so this film's really interesting, like, in its place in history, like, in where it fits in the world. So this was the first Bond movie that came out post-9-11. Yeah. Like, this huge event that basically went, actually, there is Hollywood terror on your doorstep and it's real. And made a lot of people kind of sit up and go, oh, this is real. And that can't be ignored when you then look at kind of the, the, the spy movies that came out after this. This film also came out what, six or five months after the first Jason Bourne movie, which dealt with kind of the spy idea in this kind of much more gritty and kind of dark way and changed people's attitude into what a spy movie is. So this movie comes out in this time when the world is basically almost as dark as cinema and you've got other people who are basically tackling that in a better way. And it shows in this film that they didn't know what they wanted to do. Well, I guess it was behind that because it was already in production when 9-11 would have happened. They were probably like halfway through filming when it did happen. The interesting thing for me is if you look at the opening of this film, it opens with Bond captured. If I could just quickly say, it, it opens with a, his, James Bond's gun barrel thing where he actually shoots his bullet into the oh, barrel for fuck's of the gun. Sake. Just so you know, um, <sighs> I wrote a note here. My podcast host, Alex... He started watching this for me, and I think he maybe would have done this episode if he could have stomached this movie. But literally, <laughs> it, it took, and I um, timed this, 10 seconds in, he claimed, <laughs> this film can suck a dick. <laughs> and that was basically uh, when the gun barrel fired and the jazzed up Bond theme went off. Yeah, the techno drums. It's weird, actually, when you... I watched back on... I, I remember watching a YouTube video of, like, all of the Bond gun barrel shots, and it's amazing how few of them actually have the classic you know, Monty Norman, John Barry mm. theme without doing some sort of stupid remix to it or some riff on it. Like in the 70s, they tried to make it disco. And, and with this one, they're putting in the techno drums and everything. And it just doesn't Again, work. Again, you've got to keep with the times and everything. I and mean, this is the first Bond film of the, the new millennium. 
as it was. But at the same time, fuck off with that. Yeah, it is like, how do you do fellow kids? Sort of. <laughs> and again, that, that's the thing with the song. I think the song has too many hooks and too many ideas uh, in it that it can't focus on one thing. There's stuff going on all over the place. I've got a lot to say about the song. And, you know, Sigmund Freud, analyse this. Analyse this. Oh my god, I just want to strangle myself just hearing it back again. It's. I know Aaron said it was the best Bond theme. What <laughs> he is completely wrong. No, it's well, we've the sh- shittest thing I have heard in a Bond film for so... fucking years. Um, I'm trying to think of a worse one. I'm not a fan of the man with the golden gun. I think that's very. I'd take a thousand man with the golden guns if I never have yeah. to die another day again. Exactly. Like it so, feels, it feels very 2002. The thing with Dying of a Day is it's absolutely in Madonna's kind of. She was in the music era around about this time, and music is one of the worst albums ever created. Me and um, Alex are just literally before we came on here. have just had a long discussion about this point. So Dying of a Day is a terrible theme song, but actually is the most fitting song for this movie, and they didn't realize it. The reason is is Madonna is incredibly fitting because she is somebody who was born in a time when music was a certain thing and it's gone past what she used to do and she's desperately trying to cling on to the relevance of her own career. Yeah, yeah. Bond is in the exact same situation. Filmmaking 40 years ago was completely different and it is trying to reinvent itself to a point where it's like, what are we? And actually those two ideas match up perfectly in the idea that neither of you are relevant at this point. Yeah, it's usually a sign that Bond's not confident with itself. And also the fact that this was the 40th year and it's their 20th ever movie. It's almost like a movie in itself is having a midlife crisis, hmm. if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And this is the point I was going to make about, so the opening scene, so not the pre-titles, like the scene that you get kind of during Die Another Day's song and kind of then going into the start of the movie is something that we don't really see which is Bond fails and he's captured and he's tortured and we see Bond literally being tortured for 14 months and that starts off this idea of oh this could be something really gritty this could be something you know a bit darker it could have a bit of bite to it and then from the moment where Bond turns around to a woman and goes thanks for the kiss of life you go no this is Beers Brosnan and Bond isn't it yeah he basically, he basically, you expect him to have like harsh flashbacks that will cloud his perception. He'll be co- suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He seems to fake PTSD in order to be able to escape. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this man is suffering from flashbacks. Quickly, we must help him. Kiss him quick. <laughs> he does a kiss on a girl. Did you think that that torture sequence? They had the woman soldier there. Just so that you could think, well, there's a chance he still did get laid that year. <laughs> I can't imagine a 14-month period of Bond not having sex. Like, a 14-month backed-up Bond is dangerous for us all. <laughs> yeah. I think we're, we're, we're skipping over something kind of important here. Mm-hmm. And that's that... Um, hovercrafts? Yes. Yeah. Fucking hovercrafts. Apparently, the hovercraft idea, oh, believe it or not, is completely bullshit. Uh, but they no. proved it could work. Like, in real life, the hovercrafts over the minefields would actually work. Oh, yeah, the Mythbusters tried it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but actually, it's a load of nonsense. But I do love the fact that like the North Koreans just have an army of hovercrafts. It is interesting that they went with North Korea as well, wasn't it? Because, again, because this would have been produced 
like I said, like weirdly, the bonds post the Soviet Union collapsing suddenly felt a lot more confident doing stuff with Russians. <laughs> like Russians are a key part of GoldenEye and the world is not enough because it was that sort of post history moment where it was there was like the nineties was that year of like well are we done with everyone's lives being under threat? Which you know. 9-11 put paid to that so then it became about nostalgia in a way i think bond's popularity in the 90s was because of that wave of 60s nostalgia as well and this was like classic british you know cool britannia as well and then by the time we're reaching to early 2000s things are coming out i think as much as anything this film was anticipating uh, the upcoming triple x movie <laughs> and again we're like trying to make bond stay cool and relevant because they thought triple x is here i unironically love triple x like i genuinely love that film like i saw that film so i saw that film with some of it me and tom though and we came out buzzing like this is the greatest film ever like he snowboarded down a mountain and then i upset that guy because i absolutely taped over one of his wrestling tapes that he had lent me from the pay-per-view with triple x <laughs> when i he had lent it me to be like oh yeah you can watch this wrestling event and i taped triple x off the tv gave it back and then he stopped talking to me for like three months <laughs> Well, interestingly, the film that the director of this went on to do after To Die Another Day was Triple X2, where they replaced the jacked, ripped, gravelly-voiced Vin Diesel with the, you know, I'll say slightly plump, uh, Ice Cube. Bring back my Xander Cage, that's all I kept picketing that film. But obviously this is not the Triple X cast, I understand. It is actually a very interesting director that they they hired. It was uh, Lee Tamahori, is that how you pronounce it? I believe so. Yeah, who came to prominence with Once Were Warriors, which was really the most famous New Zealand film before The Lord of the Rings and Taika Waititi came along. And he's got such a very oddly eclectic... Well, this was at a time when they were they were hiring outside of their in-house production from GoldenEye onwards. Mm-hmm. You know, they got, what's his name, Martin Campbell for GoldenEye and then brought him back for Casino Royale. Uh, they got Michael Apted, who did the Up documentaries, to direct Tomorrow Never Dies. It's <laughs> such an odd choice. I like the fact that the uh, writer of this film went on to write, carry on writing like all the good Bonds afterwards. Yeah, that's that's always the weird thing you realise about how little the writers, what they offer, might stay on. You know, mm-hmm. like how do you write the dialogue of Jinx and then come back with? <laughs> Casino Royale, because I think Jinx is one of the worst written characters of any film ever. Oh, she speaks entirely in innuendo. George Lucas would look at some of that dialogue and go, come on, lads, you can do better than that. <laughs> okay, if, if, if we're really sort of honing in on the worst elements of this film, which I, I believe is what this podcast is aiming to do, why has no one yet mentioned the fucking horrendous use of green screen? Oh, literally my first note is the ugliest green screens. And like my 19th note is these green screens are horrible. Yeah, I, I've, I've written, oh God, the green screen thing is terrible. Everything is so fake and I hate it. <laughs> Fuck that green screen. Uh, green screen can burn in hell. Yeah, I've got quite a few though. Yeah, I think this whole film was the Bond realizing that you can't fake it with bond you have to see even as ridiculous as it was as these stunt men suddenly swapping in for roger moore in particular you need to see someone flying off that cliff and opening the parachute Mm -hmm. you can't have a rubbery bodied moving pierce brosnan windsurfing on a fake tidal wave 
I think I consider this the the Batman and Robin of the Bond franchise. You know, <laughs> just it's also by far the most out there, like insofar as what technology can do, film mm-hmm. since Moonraker. And I genuinely don't know which one of the two is more ridiculous because there are space bases out there, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> there aren't right. laser gun. There aren't lasers coming from satellites <laughs> destroying ice palaces in Iceland. And they're desperate to show that they can use CGI. Yeah, Gus Graves literally uses force lightning bolts that are little <laughs> bolts of lightning, like fucking Raul Julia from Street Fighter. Brilliant. I just want to go back into some notes I have for the first scene as well. Yes. One line I had about the gun barrel moment where he shoots the bullet through the barrel. First of all, that implies that the gun itself is bleeding then. <laughs> but also, shooting the gun through the barrel of another gun. Who is this? The Riviera Kid? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, and the, the surfing bit of going onto the North Korean beach. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, they look like CGI figures as well. Yeah. Everybody was camo surfing, surfing USA. Well, to be fair, like I said, I've been watching all the Bond films, and this isn't as egregious as A View to a Kill, where we have apparently 58-year-old Roger Moore snowboarding (laughs) down a mountain to Beach Boys surf music. This is actually the second movie to ever have used a song that is licensed when it uses um, London Calling. Yeah, which is such a weird choice as well. Again, it's like I bet Joe Strummer just shat. But that was such that's such a whenever so, a, a movie based like from America is like I'm going to England. <laughs> they play London Calling. You know, it's that's like the equivalent of oh, I remember Vietnam. Some folks are born raised <laughs> to wave a flag. It's like it's almost like saying oh, you know what, I'm going to go home. To Alabama. <laughs> well, I, I just also noticed that the North Korean villain that we realise is who the the main villain is later on in the film. He, he, they do that funny thing where they always can speak perfect English, and it turns out this one went to Oxford University. <laughs> where he majored in Western hypocrisy, which I get the feeling that a lot of people who like listen to talk radio think is an actual course at Oxford University <laughs> now. That's why they teach all these students these days. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Australia-style Brexit. <laughs> Can anyone smoke gammon, or is it just me? <laughs> I mean, I guess he's not meant to be a Kim Jong character. He's sort of like, a th- like they're sort of high-ranking military but not the actual leaders because he's meant to be a dissident of sorts but i was like imagine if they tried to do it with a kim jong-un figure and the idea of this portly little north (laughs) korean guy trying to engage james bond with fisticuffs on a moving hovercraft and later on (laughs) later on he can sword fight (laughs) well he brings the sun and he'll take it away with him when he dies you know this (laughs) he can do what he likes for he is our glorious leader. <laughs> ah. uh, Bomb being tortured as a Madonna song is played. How apt. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was my other note. Oh, um, God. I will say one thing, actually, about Zhao. That is a very beautiful man. <laughs> Diamond face. <laughs> Those are some full, luscious lips on that man. <laughs> Old rock face. Yeah. He's really incredible. He looks like um, Henry Golding. I don't know, you know, he's who is another just incredibly oh, yeah. handsome man. 
Well, we'll get into that, but I guess we might as well say it now because we said it in the Mary Flanagan. He's my number one pick to be the next Bond. If I was to put money on no. anyone that I think will get cast as Bond, it will be Henry Golding. Give me Henry Cavill. Give me Henry Cavill as Bond. I... Uh... Can't have Superman play Bond as well. That's Wanna just not bet. fair. <laughs> That's a <crazy. laughs> he's, he's the most handsome man alive. We'll get and... into it. Yes. We'll get into it at, yeah, the, we'll... at the end of this. So let's just we'll stick with Die Another that. Day for now. Um, one thing I also noticed, actually, because like I said, I've been watching all the Bonds back-to-back over the past few weeks uh, in not yeah, in preparation. One thing that... There are a couple of things that changed with the Brosnan films. One, the body count went up super high because Bond is pretty much always running around with a machine. They kind of don't have time for the Walt PPK <laughs> at this point. He's just gunning people down left, right, and centre. I guess nah. it's sort of that post... That post-Schwarzenegger Rambo, uh, post-Schwarzenegger Stallone Rambo commando Running era. around like, handguns, nah, give me an Uzi. <laughs> yeah, and just Come gunning on. down with, with not, nary a drop of blood around there. Because again, I think, again, that's probably a reaction to License to Kill being so unpopular and that being by far the most bloody. And because Diane Hughes keeps writing strongly worded letters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Diane. That, and the other thing that I noticed, and we'll get into it further, is that Pierce Brosnan's Bond shags a lot more visibly than the other Bonds do. <laughs> yeah, this no, was like, like before then they always would smooch and then sink off camera and then you'd hear "Oh, James." With this, you'll at least get a bit of floor, foreplay and some bare backs. Mm. This occasionally was like Bond fucks. Like before, yeah. you might not have thought so, but he does. Like he absolutely fucks. The first time he's with Jinx in Cuba after the you know the single entendres that they swapped on the beach. I remember a friend of mine seeing it before me and he says, literally in that scene, they could have gone penis, vagina. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting is the first woman you see him meet outside of his torture is a woman whose literal name is Peaceful Fountains of Desire, who's a masseuse, (laughs) who the Chinese intelligence were going to film him having sex with. Yeah, it was almost like, I love that when they get rumbled. It's like, we weren't... We weren't pressing you for information. We're just very sick people. (laughs) We just really (laughs) want to see you fuck. Because he smashes the window and it is is—it's just his cupboard. There's clothes and everything in there. I would have loved if I just leaned in. Mate, have you seen how much people make on OnlyFans? We could get absolutely fucking killing here. I would love My. it if you just saw a scene of them sneaking into that cupboard and he just watches them. Like there's no back door. Well, for Bond, there's always a back door. Yeah, that was one of my, lo- that was one of my notes as well. Um... <laughs> Uh, ashtrays, the one weakness to our super strong one-way mirrors. <laughs> I love how like Bond comes out of torture and he looks like he's in some sort of Stone Temple Pilots fucking Alice yeah. in Chains tribute band. Yeah. And then uh, he goes to this hotel and he gets, you know, it, or when he's getting the medical, it's just a bunch of rando lasers just looking at his body. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it, it appears he's, he's been uh, poisoned, but, but his, all of his organs appear fine. You fuck off, that's not anything right. Just just literally put him on the NHS. <laughs> let, him, let him be seen by fucking Blair's doctors, and he'll be fine. And then... <laughs> Get him, get him be checked by a junior doctor on hour 17 of his shift. Exactly. <laughs> and then the one thing that really annoys me is afterwards, when he, when he goes back to normal Bond and he shaves down, I hope he used a Remington steel when oh. he shaved. <laughs> it's, it's funny, you'll see, because Remington uh, is a shaving brand and he played a character called Remington. So... <laughs> I hope he used a Thomas 
Crown Affair when he shaved. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you see, he was in the oh. Thomas Crown Affair. <laughs> there was one line in that, though, that I did like, which was, uh, Liver's not too good. It's definitely him, then. It's basically yeah. the first time that the Bond films actually address the fact that he has a terrible drinking problem. And whilst Daniel Craig gets to properly, you know, come to terms with that, Prosten is just, oh, I'll probably die at 59. It's all right. <laughs> what is the thing, like, the thing about Craig's Bond is they did everything that they tried to do in this film, and wow. It's a much better version of this film when you look at like Skyfall. Yeah, well, I I don't hate Skyfall, but I was shocked at how much love it got at the time. Oh wow! I felt like that was a wave of nostalgia and you know, it was Olympic spirit and all that. I definitely <laughs> I wouldn't I would rate it as anywhere near as good as Casino Royale. Oh, I I rated it above Casino Royale. Well, you know, it's just that I'm I'm uh, agree to disagree. This basically. is what makes <laughs> podcasts interesting, guys. <laughs> Conflict. <laughs> I also like the fact that Bond figures where he, that he's in Hong Kong and knows how to swim to that hotel <laughs> from his captivity. He's like, ah, oh, yes, uh, three miles to the left. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Turtle. <laughs> it's just like he uh, always knows where the nearest hotel is. My notes of when Brosnan does the complete clean shave and everything, I was like, does the electric razor also remove all mental anguish? Because he doesn't seem to suffer any of it after this one. Like you said, he was faking the PTSD all along. <laughs> Although- oh my god, now I'm imagining like a When Harry Met Sally scene of him with his torturer. I faked everything. <laughs> oh god. Another thing we've skipped over, and I think it really needs uh, addressing here. Why is Michael Madsen in a Bond film? Yeah, I, I yes. wrote my note for that was just Michael Madsen as Felix Scheiter. That was the only <laughs> thing I had done. I think I think that was like setting. You know, it's like how Martin Freeman was put in Captain America to set him up for Black Panther. I think yeah. he was put there to be like the M for Jinx yeah, in yeah. the Jinx spin-off that they were planning. That's my prediction, personally. No, especially with that kind of name behind it, that wouldn't surprise me. I wrote Bond and Jinx have a weird chemistry. They have chemistry. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but it's like you can't be that good looking as Pierce Brosnan and Halle Berry are without having some some minor amount of chemistry. But it doesn't like it's not personality led or anything. It's just like we're both stunningly attractive people. It would be stupid for us not to have sex. <laughs> it's like we just have to. We're just too good looking not to have sex. <laughs> um, but the point. Have you seen I've... everyone else on this resort? It would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about this entire scene, though, was Bond basically points out to Jinx um, a group of people and calls them predators, despite being the biggest sexual predator in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's. He's like you don't get to make that like... claim, Bond. And uh, that was just after he got he'd been spying her with his binoculars mm-hmm. that seemed to have a special ability for him to, for them to go in super slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing that really jarred me the most, and that was like the most early two thousands. We can do this, so we're gonna do it. All of a sudden, slow motion sped up slow. Oh, it happens so often, and I hate it. Except for Halle Berry coming out of the sea, made no fucking sense whatsoever. It was. Fucking irritating. It's mate. It's post Matrix, isn't it? Like yeah. everything yeah, yeah, is yeah, just yes. bullet time. Because like this is what everyone wants. Yeah. Again, like I'm down with the kids. You kids with your slow motion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but then fast motion. Oh, you don't know what's coming next. <laughs> and now span across Iceland. Ah. <laughs> I like the idea that um, J- Jinx was born on Friday the Thirteenth. My note was that's the second crossover they had planned after she'd been on by another day. <laughs>
That's quite oh. a machete. <laughs> the problem is Bond would just fuck him. <laughs> Jason versus Bond's penis. I did say, like, watching this film made me realise I'd, I'd done this film dirty in one respect. Because my memory of uh, when Halle Berry says, that's a mouthful, was that was after James Bond said, my name's Bond, James Bond. And she said, that's a mouthful. And I was always like, no, it's not. It's two syllables. <laughs> it's not hard at all. Try saying... Businessman, British. <laughs> That's a fucking mouthful. <laughs> but it was actually for the word ornithologist, which is in itself a cutesy reference to the fact that James Bond came from a book of ornithology. Yeah, it, it, the, they they paid some serious fan service on this, and it, was, it did not pay off. Oh god, that's again just cramming so much in. There's like references to all the twenty films in there. Yeah. Then you can't be a filming yourself if you're referencing. 20 other fucking films unless you're Tarantino I guess but it all means throw a nod in here and there but it doesn't need to litter the film yeah and that's when we get to the sex scene and that, like I said that was my note this is the first time I think I've ever seen actual thrusting in a Bond movie and it's coming from Halle Berry <laughs> actually she's the one that's making the effort in that scene she's on top she's well, <laughs> moving about the place well I mean you know at that time Pierce had some uh, salt on the pepper 12 year old me was in love with Halle Berry as well. So, like, knowing Halle Berry as a Bond girl was, like, the greatest thing. I mean, is 20-whatever-year-old you not in love with Halle Berry? Oh, no, I absolutely am. Like, when I watched John Wick 3... Did you not see her in John Wick 3? (laughs) Yeah, I watched it again recently, and I'm like, I still love her. Yeah, by the way, actually, that's one big prediction, because, you know, you were saying how Jason Bourne was a clear influence on Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, and (laughs) then The Dark Knight was a huge influence on Skyfall... And then the MCU films were a big effects on Spectre. I do not doubt there's going to be at least one action sequence in No Time to Die that is very John Wick-esque. <laughs> I don't doubt that for a second. Well, considering who's writing on it, I'm expecting several, like, Fleabag references. Where it's just <laughs> yeah. Bond just stares and does a little quick monologue to the camera. <laughs> well, he did that before in On a Majesty's Secret Service, so there is precedence. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> Although, the thing is... Every time I've seen a Bond film and he's he's you know he's having a love sequence or stuff like that, I would just love one episode, like one film, where he just turns out to be completely impotent. Yeah, and just the well, the, the humor like I'm I'm sorry, I seem to have lost my module. Well, that's just yeah, you're just going Austin Powers now. I think the implication is that Halle Berry's magical vagina does revive him slightly in this scene. <laughs> Halle Berry's magical vagina. (laughs) It's been 14 months. 14 months? Yeah, 14 months just with one North Korean torturer. It's been awful. (laughs) She wouldn't let me see her boobies or nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Although I was thinking actually just then, I was thinking like maybe the most famous flea bag aside is when she sees the handsome guy and she just turns to the camera and goes, fuck me up the arse. And I'm just thinking, actually, Bond wouldn't need to look at the camera. I can imagine him walking around with, like, a new office person. Just go, fucked her up the arse. Did her on the table. Like, working HR and MI6 is the worst job. Well, that's the funny thing. This is only the second Bond to show Bond in his office. Uh, He does it on a Majesty's Secret Service. I love the idea that Bond does have an office. Ah, but (laughs) But it it, it is, like, a, a fake reality, though. 
Yeah, but he got like I said, he does have one in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, so the implication is he does have an office room. And they're meant to be it's meant to be like reality based, you know, so I'd like to imagine he just never goes back. What do you think Bond's like in the office? Do you think he's like I can't imagine him taking part in like the baking competitions or anything like that. I think he just spends his time with all the other employees just talking shit about money penny. Yeah. Just behind the back he goes, I've had her over a barrel, she was screwing money Oh hi. Hi, hi, Manny Penny. Thanks, sir. Uh... <laughs> Coffee. That'd be lovely. Yes, please. Uh, uh, milk one sugar. Uh, no, 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 not, not to. I'm, uh, I'm sweet enough. <laughs> uh. Oh God, he is as well, isn't he? He's the guy that makes all the lame puns. He's in the, the guy office. who, um, who <laughs> is like, how's your weekend? And he's like, oh, you know, over. He's the one that does the reply all to the big mass emails with just a really <laughs> cheeky rejoinder that no one finds funny, but he feels like everyone's got to hear this one. <laughs> it's it essentially we're just writing Archer here, guys. Yeah, yes, I guess so. <laughs> Everything's been done. That's the problem with new media. <laughs> so he walks in on Zhao halfway through his progress to be towards becoming a white, like he becomes Caucasian. And I was wondering if there's like also a training module that goes with it, you know, <laughs> learning whiteness. Lesson Thursday's lesson: podcasting and why people need to hear your voice. <laughs> Friday's lesson: what if all food was bland? <laughs> Here's today's lesson: this this has some spices and herbs in it. Describe it as a bit much. <laughs> Tuesday's lessons: the various forms of tutting. <laughs> Here's how to write a passive-aggressive note to your neighbour. <laughs> Just looking at the Havana Hospital, though, it did make me think that is actually still cleaner than Good Hope. <laughs> I'd still rather go there. Well, then we have the whole big escape, and then this is where we were saying, like, think of how amazing that bungee jumping Goldeneye is. That the equivalent of that oh, God, is yeah. a really awful CGI. Of ha- I don't think Halle Berry even leaned back. I think they just took like her image and <laughs> you know, it's so egregiously bad. And I was like, did they make her go dress, go down in a bikini, both to distract the policemen that were pointing a gun at her, but also us as viewers to not notice the terrible CGI? Oh shit! They just realised we're out of a plot. Tits. <laughs> to be fair, that's how they did Swordfish, but you know. <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. And Monsters Ball. She got a, a statue for that. Yeah, while filming this film. Yeah, yeah she she had to close down production on a day to go and do that. And then Rosamund Pike also had to miss a day's production to go and uh, graduate from Oxford. Future award winner, Ros- uh, award nominee even, Rosamund Pike is in this movie. Yeah, at 23. Yeah, Rosman Pike didn't really take off hugely after this. It does seem like she'll be forever known now for Gone. Like Gone Girl was like her moment. I think that was like her like iconic character. Because it's funny. Like uh, I think it's horrible. We we can get into this like for ages. But for so many female actors, after they get the Oscar, it's like Hollywood was. Well, we don't know what to do with you now. We can't just cast you in stupid films. We can't cast you as a lead for. God's sake. <laughs> I mean, look at What were the men think? <laughs> yeah. Just hope that in 15 years' time, there's things called streaming platforms and you can do a show on one of them. <laughs> It'll be critically acclaimed, but people will keep meaning to watch it and never get round to. <laughs> Best of luck to you out there, girl. 
It is so crazy. Like, so many times, it almost becomes like, they don't, like, Julian Roberts after Aaron Brockovich, it was almost like, you've made it, now sort of slightly go away. You know, like, like do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, they, the, the, like, it seems to have happened with Anne Hathaway as well, that she's never going to be as big as she, it's like, that's that's like your medal, and, and then they're almost like, it's like being Sally Gunnell in 1999, you know. <laughs> we're all big fans of Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. What a time yeah. to be alive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but Halle Berry still sticks out. And like I say, she, she's staring John Wick and she's proven she can still do it. And she's just been incredibly, I mean, what is it after this? It's Catwoman and, uh, you know, the X-Men films. And... <laughs> you know how to a toad in the fucking lightning storm? Great movie, though. Oh, X-Men just great. Wrote that, X2, right? phenomenal. And um, about last and the better. But let's th- let's say more about Die Another Day. Somehow. Yes, sorry, I keep getting distracted by other films. So this is my note. I mean, obviously it's not our actual introduction to him, but our introduction to the villain is at the fifty-minute mark of the movie. I just was curious because it took so long for him to turn up with Gustav Grave, and um, <laughs> these were my two. These are my two big notes, like the paparazzi press that turn up for him to get his knighthood, which he never actually does do. <laughs> he just he just parachutes in front of Buckingham Palace, and that's it. <laughs> um, but the paparazzi press are incredibly polite, taking it in turns asking a question. Only to exposition him. questions, though. They only <laughs> ask him exposition. Uh, John John Newsman, exposition times. Could you please also, tell me about your history? <laughs> we also brushing over the fact that he came in on a Union Jack parachute. And did yeah. anyone tell Roger Moore that he nicked the gimmick? <laughs> Again, that was just one. Of, that was one of the more like explicit references that everyone gets, mm. you know. But um, what I also thought was like he's so obnoxious in this whole film. Like he's like every moment you just want to punch him in the face. But then I realised that maybe that makes sense because you got to remember this is a non-white man playing a white man. So it's like he knows every single thing that makes us so hateful. <laughs> He's going to put it in this one guy, you know. It's like when Dave Chappelle does whiteface. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is so crazy. Like, now it would be a huge controversy, you know. It would be along the lines of when Scarlett Johansson did Ghost in the Shell and loads of other examples of that. I can't imagine this would happen now, you know. Um, I was supposed to happen then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That is the thing. Oh, it was a different time like that. No, I'm sure people were saying this is bullshit before. They just didn't have Twitter to do it on, you know? Well, I think we're now getting onto a scene that fills me with both joy and dread in almost equal measure because we're getting onto the, the fencing scene. I remember because the first time I watched this film on TV was, I think it was like his ITV premiere. And this scene was the moment where I was like, this is just. This has gone beyond the realm of stupidity for me to be able to take it. Like, I know Bond is stupid, but this is too stupid for Bond. See, I enjoyed the fight choreography. Yeah. But did, did you really have to have Madonna as the, the, the fencing coach? Did that re- Was that necessary? Because obviously they're playing up some sexual chemistry with her and Brosnan as well. And I should note, Madonna is five years younger than Brosnan. So it's like as close as Brosnan gets to an age-appropriate relationship in this whole film. Did no one tell the casting agents that putting Madonna in your film is the kiss of death? (laughs) It's essentially what happens when you want your film to tank. I mean, it's just a fun little cameo that I don't think anyone was told about ahead of time. (laughs) So it's it's not like it was 
starring Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, because I think a lot of people talk about this, like, oh, Madonna's in this, there's a cameo, it's ridiculous, but it's not egregious. Like, mm. it's, she's there for, like, three lines. Yeah, it's just not awful. It's just that sort of bitter thing of, being like, oh, Graves can sword fight and Rosamund Pike can sword fight better. I, I also I love the fact that Pike won the Olympic gold medal because someone OD'd on her opponent OD'd on steroids. <laughs> and what I also love is that he made sure to say that within earshot of a grave. So it's like he's still negging her. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. My favorite thing, the, the point that I noticed in this was so the sword fight I think is both hit and miss. I think it's a kind of good idea, um, and at times it works, but at times it is just absolute nonsense yeah well, well these are, yeah some of my notes well it's very hard to look hard in fencing <laughs> the point i wrote was if i was to tell you there are two bond films one has a sword fight and in the other he plays a long drawn out game of poker and then i told you you want to watch the second one <laughs> you'll be thinking i've gone mad <laughs> I think fencing gear, I was thinking this, like, fencing gear kind of looks like everyone's, like, the ladies in preparation for an evening ball in the Jane Austen film. That's what they're all wearing, like, the the pre-dress gear. It appears that Mr. Darcy has a wall for PPK. What I I love also is that Bond essentially hustles graves. And I like the idea that there are fencing hustlers out there <laughs> that lose the first two rounds and then say, well, let's up the stakes a bit. Like the colour of money, but with swords. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Whittingham there, he goes around f- her hustling fences. Hustling fences, yes, well, he only has a family fortune of £35 million, so the poor boy has to make some money on the side. <laughs> <laughs> You there, get your gear on. Let's see who can hit whom the hardest. <laughs> I can't get into like I'm I'm someone that can watch most sports, but but fencing is one of the ones that's a lot hard it's a lot very difficult to derive enjoyment from it really, I find. If it was like this I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> what, every so often they just get a bigger sword. <laughs> Yeah, uppercutting, <laughs> uppercutting each other. First one to draw blood from the torso wins. The, the age-old rule. Yes. Sabres only, lads. Yeah. The civilised times. <laughs> Queensbury rules. You're only allowed one kick at the bollocks. <laughs> Use it wisely. Do, do either of you ever watch it? It does seem like a. I just no. I, it's quite visually interesting now with all the dark and root, dark and lights and the noises. But you can't. I can't get a grasp on the sport itself. You know, it's just one of those sports I can't. I have a finite out. amount of time on this earth. I will not spend any yeah. of it watching fencing. <laughs> They're I often know. quite petulant in the fencing world as well. I think. I think one one stage to sit in protest when they got beaten or something like that. The brilliant. Olympics. Like that's the kind of stuff that will make me watch it. Like it's like get him off the stage. He's got a sword. He's not got a pointy thing at the front. I'm very much a person who like if it helps me procrastinate, I will watch fencing if I have to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? When it's Olympics time, you know that's when I watch volleyball. Yeah. That's when I watch badminton. Hockey. So much badminton and table tennis. I just can't with fencing. I just it just doesn't work for me. I don't have any more notes on that fight scene, but it was like, it's proper, like, again, that was another proper sort of Batman and Robin level of over-the-topness and 
Like, if you want to embrace the silliness, I get it, but it's just, like you say, at the start of it, Bond's getting tortured. So is this a serious one, or is it... <laughs> Is this a film that's going to address torture in North Korea, or is it a film that's going to have giant lasers and sword fights across country manors where priceless paintings get slashed? You know, what? what is it? One thing also I noticed, this is a really minor thing, but uh, I think you might notice it, Tom. There's one particular, you know how you've got like the Wilhelm scream and all that sort of stuff? There's a squeaky door sound effect that I swear is used like three times in this movie. And it's like one of those things I think you can get on Garage Band for nothing, like royalty free. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, I think the editing is uh, pretty fucking woeful in this film, so it wouldn't shock me if it was the same noise just repeated. Now I, I'm at the point where we're at the Bond gadget scene without Desmond Llewellyn, the one time John Cleese took on mm-hmm. uh, Q duties on his own. Hang on, I have to put on the black armband. <laughs> My favourite parts of Bond films were Q's invention displays. And without Desmond Llewellyn, it felt wrong. With Again, with the Brosnans, because we were saying how Brosnan clearly wants to make Bond. I think he looked at... I imagine Brosnan saw Casino Royale and was very sad that that wasn't the Bond film he got mm-hmm. to make. But especially the Q scenes, they were like something out of a Zucker Abraham Zucker film. You know, there's like all these background gags going on, you know, <laughs> in, in the, whilst they're in the foreground. It was a bit backstage at the Muppet Theatre, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's also like, um, obviously this one's the bit where they're just absolutely overloading it with references, you know, like the jetpack from Thunderball yeah. and the, the boot knife from... Um, Oh, boot the, knife. <laughs> the uh, the alligator submarine. Yeah, yeah, all those things. But what, I always loved Eddie Izzard's routine. I think I've said it before. Of, of he always gives Bond exactly the right gadgets he needs. There's never a time when at the end of the film he comes back and goes, "Q, I've got a lot of stuff I didn't fucking use." <laughs> <laughs> what was the point of the dram trousers? <laughs> if you're asked to like list five things you remember from Die Another Day. Just a random person. This is one of the things that they will say, which is the invisible car. Uh, yes. So I've got a lot to say on the cars. Okay. But okay. I know nothing about cars, so... I don't know if you want me to hold off on this, because I know that at some point we'll talk about things that we like in this film. Okay. And that heavily fits into... <laughs> I've enjoyed the invisible car. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> the, the, I'll, I'll preface this now. There's a very genuine reason why I love the cars in this film. And it's because my dad used to work for Jaguar. And when I was a kid, my dad turned around to me and said, we're going to my work. And I was like, oh, boring. And he turned around and said, oh, no, it's a surprise. And I got to sit in the Jaguar that's in this film. Oh, you slut. And I knew about that Jaguar before it was in the film. And it is my favourite memory Ever and life has been pain and misery since. <laughs> but, well, I won't take that you away. Peaked from early, me. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but it means that I just adore both the cars in this film, and yeah, like the Aston enough. Martin is a beautiful looking car. And yeah, the invisibility thing—you know—it's a bit crass and it doesn't really work. But it's it's fine. What do you mean it doesn't work? It's invisible. <laughs> you know, but like it, it does its job. In reality, that's not something that works. Um, and let's be honest, the invisibility lasts. 30 seconds. Yeah, and, and he gets caught with the thermal imaging car. It's so, like, what was the bloody point of that? But yeah, I love the I love the cars in this film. Like, And I think it's it's mainly a personal thing of being like, I have a really clear personal memory of one of those cars. And well, for me, that will win me over. 
I have to say, I'm on the other end of the scale, maybe, for one very good personal reason as well, which is when Q hands Bond the instruction manual, <laughs> Bond throws it in the air so that it gets machine gunned into pieces. As someone who's part of his job is to frequently write instructions for other people to follow, I am personally offended by Bond's <laughs> attitude towards that. Does anyone else feel that John Cleese must have been in the middle of a divorce to make this film? Because that's the only reason he does things after 1996. <laughs> it's just to pay off another alimony check. Yeah, he's a, he's a shocking... I don't want to say bitter, but he's... um, I don't know, He's not bitter, I guess, because he's very openly honest about his bitterness in a weird way. <laughs> you know? But it, it is odd, like, he's... It really was after... A fish called Wonder. He hasn't really done anything of worth since then, and I don't think he cares. I think he's got that. T- I'm John Cleese. I don't have to prove anything to anyone yeah. anymore. <laughs> fuck you, I'm John Cleese. Yeah, I'll do nearly headless Nick. Because fuck you, I'm John <laughs> Cleese. But I, oh, this is where I, I made one note. My big problem with uh, Rosamund Pike's character, and again, I'm not one that usually nitpicks like plot holes and all that. But the whole notion of her being this, you know, she's a personal system plus a aspiring spy for the MI6 uh, whilst also be and she was saying oh but Bond could blow my cover you're an Olympic gold medalist (laughs) I don't see you being able to be inconspicuous somehow (laughs) Bond isn't what's gonna screw it up for you nobody watched the Olympics back then it's fine I guess not for fencing. I didn't. <laughs> Plus, the, the the Olympics she would have been in would have been Sydney. No one gave a shit about Sydney. It's fine. <laughs> but surely she'd be remembered. Oh, yeah, you remember that one who won because their opponent OD'd on steroids somehow. <laughs> but it was all about Sir Steve Redgrave, mate. She came out with a full beard when she won. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we get to Iceland and the leftover sets from Batman and Robin. The, the, you're, you're on about the country, not the shop, right? I've written everything is so fake and I hate it. Yeah, it's just like that whole sort of tracking shot against the ice, and they speed it up for no good fucking reason. Mm-hmm. It, I literally made the note: stop fucking around with time and be a Bond film. Hotel looks cool though. I would, but at the same time, I don't want to sleep on a bed made of ice. <laughs> I'd be worried fun. about my naked body, you know, sort of sticking to the bed. That's half the fun. No one night you put your tongue against the ice and it gets stuck. It's not the tongue I'm worried about, mate. Whatever happens to your buttocks? Isn't that isn't that the type of danger that you're hoping for in your life? Like I said, I, I peaked as like a 12-year-old and I've been chasing that high ever since. <laughs> I really didn't make a lot of notes after this point. I was just getting so annoyed at everything. My notes become sporadic. Yeah, yeah. My next note is, who sent you? Your mama. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Some white man sat at a computer <laughs> typing up that dialogue... What could we put in a Halle... Academy Award-winning Halle Berry? <laughs> what could we do to show this one's a sassy lass that takes no guff from nobody? This is when... They say guff! I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is when my next um, note comes in, which is the laser fight scene is so bad, but there is a point where the giant guy aggressively throws a bench. <laughs> that was also... The, again, it was just those signs of like a lack of effort and everything. Like When that giant guy, when he opens the door for Bond, he just says, my name's Kill or something. It's like they couldn't find... <laughs> But but the right someone was like, I like this line and I'm keeping it. My name is Name. (laughs) I have license to license. (laughs) My name is John Murderman. (laughs) My main Billy kills a lot. 
<laughs> he wants to kill Jinx with a with the laser, mm-hmm. and Zhao said, of oh, giving him a gun, says, "Well, don't make a mess." Like you literally wanted him to point blank shoot her in the face <laughs> from two <laughs> from two centimeters away, and now you're worried about a mess. <laughs> I do like the idea of like um, using a plot that has diamonds and lasers involved, like. We've we've been here before, haven't we? Yeah. We know what this. Is, I mean, just be fucking something different, please. Well, I just, I mean, the whole laser sequence is truly shockingly embarrassing, and and like the CGI of the lasers are awful, and just mm-hmm. the way that they're behaving, quite nonchalant. Oh, I'll just dive over here, and let's just hope these lasers don't come into contact. There's with a me. point where Bond is almost timing his punches with the lasers moving, <laughs> but the lasers have no pattern. Also, Bond's a complete moron at the start with the laser coming towards her and he's trying to unhook her and she has to say, fucking, the, the switch is there! <laughs> oh yeah, the switch! Can you see it has the on-off symbol, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, he doesn't actually push the off symbol. It's like a random red button. That was so, so poorly done. Like, everything about that scene was embarrassing. Including the part where the invisible car sneaks up on an entire building like it's the fucking predator. <laughs> also, at one point, when Gus walks into the office and Bosden says, So you live to die another day. That's the name of the film! <laughs> they did that thing they do. That was one of, that's one of the funny things, actually, about the Bond film. So they completely, like, have aged out of all the different phases of sequel titles. Because in the 60s, it was the idea that you gave a, a sequel its own title, if at all possible. Because they were always nervous that people wouldn't bother going to the second one if they hadn't seen the first. Yeah. So they'd always kind of try and sneak in the fact that it is a sequel in a weird way, you know? Or at the very least, it's like Son of Frankenstein or what have you. But then, Francis Ford Coppola wanted to call The Godfather Part 2 just Part 2, not like the godson or anything like that and that's what started off on everything being you know lethal weapon 2 rocky 2 all that which is what if james bond had come out at the time i guess they would have just called it dr no 2 thunderball or something like that you know (laughs) bond 20 obviously if bond had been reinvented at the time of like it would have been just james bond like you had jack reacher and Mm -hmm. jack ryan and alex cross and all of those other obnoxious ones and or now it would be 007 colon you know, Skyfall, whatever. But instead, it is just an unique title each time. In international markets, they do use the James Bond and 007 prefix in a lot of the titles just to sell it to international markets. But there's always some bizarre names. So I, I saw a couple of the the translated versions of names and stuff like "Die Tomorrow, Please" and <laughs> and if you wouldn't mind dying quieter, just over there. Yes, please. Thank you. Is that them making fun of the British and are overly... Excuse me, if you wouldn't mind terribly dying. <laughs> I, mean, I am paraphrasing. I didn't write down the full list like I usually do. But it's essentially, it's just like, could you die tomorrow? <laughs> die elsewhere, if you may. Goldfinger. Well, he's a rum sort. In different <laughs> Can we jump on what might be my favourite line? Maybe in Bond ever? Mm. You mm-hmm. have sex for dinner and death for breakfast and spam for lunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was also, I, I did like that she also, she made sure to say at the start, I enjoyed last night Bond. Because I think like, because so many men live vicariously through Bond, they would have almost been offended. Like, you used Bond just for nothing. It meant nothing to you. <laughs> How no, dare you? Bond must be good at sex at all times. <laughs> no. 
But yeah, there are all sorts of lines like, how's that for a punchline? Uh, uh. Oh, that was it. That was it. That was when he negged Rosamund Pike. Sorry, when he said it was me that o- gave the OD to that athlete. <laughs> it was like, just know your place, Rosamund. That gold medal is mine. <laughs> I have some real putting her in a place. But yeah, it's weird, actually. Like Bond's getting this all the time. He gets betra- He got betrayed by Sophie Marceau in The World Is Not Enough, the film before then. They basically use the same twist. Basically, he's just he's just doing the wrong kind of banging. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it always seems to be also the spoiled brats that, that turn on Bond. And of course, you had kinky sex... Um, Zenny on, on a top. on a top, yeah. So, so Brosnan's name. actually batting a weird average again for, like, <laughs> batshit sexual partners. <laughs> Brosnan doesn't have the best of time. He gets his ass kicked in most fights, you know. He's... Um, he, stuff, he suffers the most of all the Bonds, I have to say, just physically. He's put through the ringer a lot more. Um, but yeah, another one of those sort of nitpicky things. Surely Bond would know from the weight of his gun if it had bullets in it or not, but that's just, you know. She could have put fake bullets in there that wouldn't go off, so I'm not that bothered by it. That's the problem when you're in the ice caverns. There are always going to be shitty, mm. weird measurements and weights. You, you t- I yeah. just can't work out if this is ice or a bullet. Nah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the gun is made of ice and he doesn't notice. <laughs> Everyone knows Iceland has a different gravity. It's <laughs> it's science. Um, also, I must say, I was interested by uh, Brosnan's pumping arms running technique. It wasn't a million miles off of the Tom Cruise, I am running! Well, to be fair, you're in your mid-50s, you got to do something to get the oxygen up again, haven't you? I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, someone makes the global warming gag that you just knew was coming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the CGI windsurfing bond is, I think, the nadir of this whole thing, because it is just... You film a guy, a stuntman from afar, doing outrageous surfing. That is what you do in a bomb film. You don't put it in CGI that everyone can really clearly tell is CGI. That's just not the done thing. It looked like the bit in Superman 3 <laughs> where the villain's playing like against Superman like it's a computer game. Yeah. My thing about this is, so um, I don't know if you know um, about the YouTube channel called Corridor Digital or Corridor Crew, who basically break down special effects um, in movies, and they talked about this, and the thing is, the problem is this movie isn't, this scene even, isn't the water and the surfing on the water, it's actually the ice. Like, the ice is so fake, yeah. it automatically yeah. makes everything so fake, and then the water's just a bit too blue. Yeah, because when, when I was watching Goldeneye, I was like, wow, this is a real step up visually, like, the lighting's more moody and... and shifty and chase and it feels more real than any of the other bomb films before then like even some of the like at least the interior scenes in the the uh, dalton films even still felt like this is a studio where they've got three walls built you know it doesn't feel <laughs> like a, a room which is what a lot of goldeneye in particular looked like and also you just know those sets personally from the game so well it's like you know these set designs like you know where that door's going even though you don't see it in the film itself. i know the layout of this russian prison <laughs> don't you worry boys i'll get us out in a jiffy but this one like i said it looks like batman and robin it looks like a really shitty set on like i almost expect at times that they will forget to get rid of the blue screen <laughs> you know like you just see blue again in the background or something i mean a, a couple of notes i just wanted to add first of all the cgi does look like it was made uh during a robert rodriguez kids film yeah, uh, yeah. I, I make a reference to that later on is the reference to shark boys and lava girls perhaps 
um, is reference to his outfit when they put his electric shock outfit. Uh, it looks like he's from Spy Kids. Okay. Well, well, Physicality of the CGI characters reminded me a lot of the fight scene in Blade 2. It's <laughs> really, really embarrassingly bad. It's a shame because that film's so good. It was that high time of like, with CGI, we can do anything. <laughs> I mean, this was this was a year after the first Lord of the Rings film came out. And fuck, doesn't it show how completely different CGI was? Like, there are some that still age well. Obviously, the T-1000 doesn't look perfect, but for what it's supposed to be, it's still pretty much Oh, works. yeah. I mean, you still look at... The, the T-Rex in Jurassic Park still looks mm-hmm. pretty much amazing. Yeah, amazing. Because they used a combination of puppetry and CGI, but I think it's because they made sure to light it darker as well. You know, that was probably a good idea as well. Whereas this is in the blazing light of a laser beam shooting down from the sky. (laughs) Interesting fact, though, when he's first demonstrating the Icarus laser, the light used on the audience whilst they're watching it is actually the biggest lighting budget a British film has ever had. I saw that fact. Yeah. Love it. Just, just the sheer amount of wattage they needed to make that happen. I just thought you could have just edited it in post, couldn't you? Just <laughs> turn up the turn up the uh, contrast a bit. There you go. They all look like they're lit up now. I've got two more bits of A grade dialogue that I made a note of before the end. Both coming from Jinx again. He did you. I didn't know he was that desperate. Whoa! Save <laughs> it for Jerry Springer, love. I mean, Bitch. come on. <laughs> And her uh, kiss off line at the end to her, which is, read this, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Stabbed by the art Uh, of war. How I. I'm just kidding. I don't give a fuck. uh, The main thing I want to point out is that the um, Icarus outfit that he wears has a mouse tracking ball on the arm. Yes! And that's my favourite thing of that outfit. (laughs) It was so. It looked like someone had designed it in the 80s, built it in the 90s, and then left it until like the turn of the millennium. Also, if we're talking about um, great lines, the line he says when he kills Graves is, time to face gravity, Graves never falls. Yeah, he just goes, stuck. Yeah, time to face suction engines. (laughs) Like, before he's shredded by the uh, engine of the plane, his body never falls. Also, Jinx says, I think I broke her heart, and this knife is definitely not in her heart. Uh, with the with the art of war book as well. Oh, how droll! <laughs> Don't you always hate that when films when they always have a character reading a book and it's like, ah, this is a <laughs> this is a thematic reference. <laughs> this is a film with themes. Aren't we clever? <laughs> I genuinely hope Rosamund Pike got paid extra to wear that fucking outfit as well. Yeah, because it was yeah. a bit much for a twenty-two-year-old who's just starring in her first film to go. Right, get your knocks out. Yeah. Also, did you notice? Because you know, saying this was after this was just around the time of the Bourne films, but obviously not influenced directly by them. But there is like shaky cam, proto shaky mm-hmm. cam in the two fight scenes that were going on. But I wonder if that was just someone dropped it off the stand and they're like, we haven't got enough time, guys. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't like the Bourne films. I don't like them as much as they were rated. I haven't rewatched them since they were out though, and I thought Jason Bourne was awful. Shaky cam was one of the main proponents of why I don't like those films. I think they're too erratic. Um, in their style. Yeah, Shaky Cam was atrocious. I've also written Chekhov's Helicopter. (laughs) Um, And we couldn't end without some more horrible CGI. Yeah. One of my notes as well was that they were saying, oh, how could you not know that she was going to be a double agent? He says, you didn't tell us she was on the same fencing team as the North (laughs) Korean. Is that all it takes to 
trick am I am I six? Shall we check who they were in the fencing team with? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be such a nerd. Money Penny finally gets a bang in. Yeah. <laughs> But then it's a cop out on her copping off because it it was all artificial, you know, CGI reality. Ah, how long do you think Q was watching for? Yeah, and she was was she unbuttoning herself or did she go into that pre unbuttoned or? These are the questions I don't want the answers to. <laughs> like I said, this is the most fantastical element of like this is further than Moonraker ever went. Yeah, like literal human. You can pro- someone sat there programming a bond that could go through. Well, to be fair, if they've been monitoring him all this time, <laughs> I guess this is the most. But if they truly monitor bond, have... they know that he wouldn't touch Money Penny with a fucking barge pole. <laughs> Golden rule, lads: don't shit where you eat. <laughs> <laughs> was that his motto when a new guy would come into the office? But it, it just <laughs> Let seems... me take you under my wing, boy. <laughs> it seems a shame that Samantha Bond has been in these films since 1995. She's been working with Pierce Brosnan all this time, and finally she gets to cop off with the main star, and it's a wank fantasy ruined by John Cleese. <laughs> Haven't we all been there? <laughs> so I thought that that was quite harsh on Bond's interpret Samantha Bond's interpretation of Miss Moneypenny because I always thought she was kind of not as hung up on Bond as they clearly made the original Money Penny. Yeah, to the point that she's weeping when Bond oh, gets married. God, yeah, the original Money Penny was a thirsty bitch. Yeah, with, yeah, with this, yeah, I didn't want to say it, but you know, <laughs> with, with this Money Penny, she's kind of sees. Bond is like he'd be fun but she's not hung up on him either she's like she can tell he'd be a fun shag but also knows that he's a bit of a, a an arse but, but the, as well the unspoken thing of money penny always fantasizes about a life with even to the point where i've watched naomi harris in the more recent films i'm thinking yeah she she would she would, they would she would but i don't think that again i don't think they've played it up like she's only thinking of bond like oh, God, you know, no. if you're Na- if you're naomi harris you're not you know you're not going lonely any night or not or if you're samantha bond to be fair in the final scene where bond and jinx are, are banging in what seems to be a buddhist temple yeah and <laughs> apparently the film was banned in certain countries because of them having sexual intercourse near the buddha which is quite frowned upon. But also, they have sex on top of conflict diamonds. <laughs> yeah. And no one says jack shit about it. Yeah. Amnesty International would be all over yeah. that. Well, Leonardo DiCaprio hadn't taught us all about what they were until... <laughs> you know, what, how are we to know? Talking about blood... Do- oh, also, the other thing I noticed in this film, um, when Bond uh, punches that guy out to wheel him over to the hospital in Cuba... Yes, I made that note as well. That guy is surely dead. What is it with the cliche of all South Africans being pricks? Yeah, I did notice that. He was was he being played by a character from the Spitting Image song? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. My my last note was uh, when they when they land because he says, "Looks like we're going down together," and then he says, "Oh, you know, you said we were going down together." And you know how they always do, like at the end of quite a few films. At the end of World Is Not Enough, the end of Moonraker. They're like, where is 007? And they find thermal heat imaging or something <laughs> of these humping. I was like, just imagine if it is just visibly 69 going on. <laughs> like, like, bursting on them, really going at it. Like, <laughs> what? We set this up. I don't know how this surprised you. <laughs> I am James Bond. You know that I am going to be in this situation. Ask Chinese intelligence. That's the question, though, isn't it? Which I haven't brought up yet, but, like, one of the questions... So we'll ask you 
your opinion on some of these categories. Like, one of the ones is, who do you think which Bond is the best shag? And I, like, I am convinced that there is no way in hell that Sean Connery's Bond ever went down on any of the women. <laughs> that he was... I think well, Sean Connery's Bond would have assumed that foreplay is something to do with golf. Yeah. yeah Brosnan's, <laughs> Brosnan is the best shag. I believe that. I think Brosnan's maybe the most traditional, no, non, like, you know, not too short, not too long. You know, everyone gets what they need. Mm-hmm. They came He's for. got the rhythm down. <laughs> you know, like, if they you enjoy it, it as much as he does. Yeah, if you wanted it rough, then you go with Craig. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I feel like Dalton would be like criticizing your technique whilst you're doing Dalton it. didn't shag. Oh come on, dear, you've got to do harder. Like I know they want you to think Dalton did, but Dalton never shagged. Dalton was a gentleman. <laughs> so you think Brosnan would be the best shag? Which Brosnan do you think is the best looking Bond? Would you say? I think we kind of all agreed on Brosnan. Brosnan, yeah, he's he's too handsome. If anything, he's too handsome. But I love that gag in the Eurovision film. Where Will Ferrell, one of the reasons he doesn't want to hook up with Rachel McAdams' character is they can't be 100% sure they're not brother and sister. <laughs> because Pierce Brosnan's so handsome, he's had sex with every woman in the village. While I loved no joke in Eurovision. <laughs> uh, who do you think's the best, be- best dressed Bond? Do you have an opinion on that? Ooh. I would say Craig, only because he has multiple size jackets. Mm. To match when he's running or when he's standing. <laughs> like, yeah. he is prepared. He's very, very ready for the situation, isn't he? But, like, like Connery again, was suave. Yeah, Brosnan's quite conservative. The 90s <coughs> weren't too embarrassing for, like, suit fashion or anything. Um, like I say, there's no there's no Roger Moore bell-bottom trousers or anything. But also, nothing to really write home about either, I suppose. Lazenby had um, frills on his cuffs. Lazenby's where the Austin Powers comes from. He is the best. That's also probably another reason why Bond was having an identity crisis at this point, because people, when they thought of Bond, they probably just as likely Mm -hmm. were thinking of Austin Powers. So they were like, "Do we? We can't be that, but we can't not be that." You know. Yeah, it certainly didn't help. So I think that was also part of the identity crisis as well at the time. So, which Bond do you think would be the best actual spy? If you had to hire one of them to be a spy. Dalton. Do it. Dalton, yeah. Dalton was like, the the problem with Dalton was, he was too good at his job. Like, and that's why nobody liked him, because the, he was just efficient. Yeah. Like, he wasn't, <laughs> like I said, he didn't shag. So, he's not being distracted by all these women. He's like, no, I've come to do my job. Mission, 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 mission. And going home for a tea. If they'd actually been true to Dalton's Bond, each film would be over in like 55 minutes. (laughs) Bond, you're back with two weeks to spare. Yeah, I know. It's just that fucking good. Under budget? (laughs) Got any other missions for me? No. All of world problems are solved. I I flew in economy as well. You've single-handedly achieved world peace, you Welsh genius. (laughs) Which Bond do you think would be the most fun on a night out? It's not Craig, I can tell you that much. Yeah, bloody hell. It's going to be more or Connery, but you have to take into the caveat they are products of their time, and therefore everything they say you may not agree with. (laughs) And also, and finally, which Bond do you think would... And if you want to do Order of Elimination in a battle royal fight between all six of the Bonds, what, uh, do you have an order (laughs) who's going out first? Um, So Brosnan lets everyone else kind of kill each other. (laughs) <laughs> and Craig is killing Bros. Like one on one, any of those against Craig's Bond, Craig wins. Ah, so you think they'd all team up like when 
Andre the Giant was in a battle royal or something. Yeah, say they all went, oh, Craig's the... Craig's the <laughs> so they've all got their wolf of PPKs. Craig has his sink. <laughs> <laughs> and still Craig wins. Like, so who do you think lasts to be the last one eliminated? I think he keeps Brosnan to last as a... <laughs> You're the prettiest, so I want you to watch the rest of them die first. And also, you you are my predecessor. I have to kill you last. Craig has just like a bit of rope, and he's like, you'll never believe what happened to me with this. Brosnan, I'm taking out your prize assets first. Connery's drunk. Connery's drunk. Drunk off his ass, trying to do judo. <laughs> I don't know where they're fighting, but I imagine there's something precarious that Connery could fall off and kill himself. <laughs> Like, Lazenby probably just walks away because nobody realises he's in the fight. <laughs> so that leaves more... Dalton, like, Dalton puts up the hardest fight. Dalton is too efficient. Okay, I like that. I like that reasoning. Also, not just actors. What are sort of some scenarios you would like to see? Like, if you were to change to your version of a Bond film, are there certain things you would like to see that they haven't addressed, they haven't done, or or go back to things like they've brought back Blofeld, so in theory there are loads of other villains or um, classic Bond characters you could bring back. Other things you'd like to see another Bond film do? Yeah, I want Bond doing a mission. I hmm. don't want anything that links to his family oh, or okay. to his past or anything that kind of overarcs into movies. I just want a Bond movie that just does a mission. I've had enough of Bond going rogue. Yeah, I just yeah. want them to be like, here's your mission, Bond. Go and yeah. do it. Because he goes rogue in this one as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, that didn't start until License to Kill, really. And then it's It's because they saw common... Mission Impossible and went, oh, well, he's yeah. always going rogue. Why aren't we? But, you know, yeah, yeah. I just want to see Bond just doing a mission. Like, I don't mm. care what style it's in. Just do a mission. Well, that's why I was thinking, like, someone like Henry Golding. My problem is I don't like Henry Golding as an actor. I just don't... I've not seen him in anything that makes me go, okay, this guy's great. I really liked him in that Anna Kendrick film, um, Blake Lively, that I thought was a really, really, really oh, good That's film. the film I hate him in the most. Oh, okay. And also, you know, we've got a lot of love for Pierce Brosnan, but we're also conceding that he's not necessarily the most versatile actor in the world no, either. true. So, you know, I think like Henry Golding maybe would bring something to the Bond that you prefer over what the Daniel Craig's trying to take it more seriously. Maybe, and I really like Daniel Craig's like yeah. interpretation. I just think Henry Cavill is the most handsome man in the world at the moment, and he should be in it. Or, guys, hear me out. Jeffrey Dean Morgan Bond. <laughs> I've pitched him for every every other movie role, so put him in this as well. <laughs> I mean, he's ridiculously handsome. Um I I think he's too old. And oh, yeah. I just uh, I actually think because oh, we were discussing this. Would you think like the general public will be angrier? And this is like the the obnoxious general public that got angry about Daniel Craig being blonde. Would you think what will make them angrier? Either a British woman or a man of color playing Bond, or an, a white American male playing Bond. Which do you think would cause the biggest furore with absolute British woman? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's not it's not my Bond. Mm. Do you, are there any actresses that you think could play Bond? No, because like, my thing is, is uh, I think if you do Bond, like you can have a female spy, but don't have it be Bond. I think that's what they're trying to set up with the No Time to Die, actually, which would be I'd good. I'd be happy with there being a female spy and a female-led offshoot of this, but yeah. for me, Bond is is Bond. Like It's James Bond and is synonymous with his kind of person. As, and there's so much baggage that comes with that. Because that's for me, it's like Bond is is a guy and he's a pretty shitty guy, yeah. but he's a guy. 
Mm. Obviously, they tried to do it with Jinx, and there was also rumours before then of doing it with Michelle Yeoh's character in Tomorrow Never Dies. You could have almost she was supposed to be in this, I think. That, well, that would have been interesting if you, if they had done a Jinx movie, maybe her teaming up with Michelle Yeoh's character. And I think it can be done. Well, yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if No Time to Die is a hit, and there is that woman in the in I don't know the actor's name, um, mm. but she's apparently 007 because Bond resigned, so the the 007. Yeah. Which would suggest she might get killed in this film so that Bond can return to being 007. <laughs> but you could do, if she's popular, you could do a prequel film about what MI6 was up yeah. to when Bond wasn't there. And, like, because they've already said, like, Money Penny has fought in the field. Emma's worked in the field. I always thought you could do a cool, like, turn Q into not just a gadget guy, but, like, a spy master and almost make him more like a George mm-hmm. Smiley type of spy and do a, a riff on the spy genre within the Bond universe but not have Bond be there. Yeah. I think you could do it. But they're all obsessed now with Cinematic Universe, so they want it to be 15... 15- of course, even though only one has ever worked. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that was what was so annoying about Spectre as well. They just tried to retrofit everything in to make it sound like it was all part <laughs> of a plan when it wasn't on my side i just want to say one thing i would like to see bond do more and like i said i'm not a huge fan of the mendes bonds i'd like skyfall i hate specter personally specter's my least favorite of the bottom we're doing quantum of solace of the craig bonds but if it was my vote i would have gone with specter that is the worst one but what i do like about the mendes films is they actually do place bond more within the uk you know Mm. what i mean like the final sequel like i think almost like the whole of the second half of skyfall's in yeah. like London and then the Scottish Scotland. Highlands. I don't know if it's the Highlands, but it's somewhere in Scotland. And then like the final set piece inspector again is in London. I would like to see a Bond where he's actually travelling around Britain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like see Bond in Manchester, see Bond in Edinburgh, see Bond in Birmingham. Yeah. You know, like doing a set piece on the top of like the Rotunda or something like that, you know? Because <laughs> um, he is supposed to. Abseils down the ballroom. <laughs> or even if you want to go really dodgy, because we were talking about how they never addressed it uh, in with Mary Flanagan. Bond in Belfast? What would that be like? <laughs> you know? Uh but you know what I mean? Just see Bond within the country that he's supposed to be protecting all this time. You know? Yeah. I would like to see that, personally. Uh, I don't know. That's just me. I mean, it's meant to be that he's a jet setter, but we've seen him everywhere <laughs> except Britain at this point, really. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, other actors? So you said Jeffrey D. Morgan. Are there any uh, other Je- ones? Jeffrey D. Morgan is my joke one because I literally, like anything we've ever talked about on the podcast, I've always pitched Jeffrey D. Morgan as it, um, just because I have a weird love for that man. Mm. Um, but, you know... Um, are there any, like... I'm, I'm assuming you're, you wouldn't be against a, an actor of colour, like if someone... No, like, like Idris Elba was, like, perfect for it. I just yeah. think he's maybe aged out of the role a little bit. Yeah. He's aged out. And like I said, the same yeah. thing with Henry Cavill. He's too well-known at this point. I think you have to get someone who's on that verge of becoming a star. But, like, they're not too big. And that's what Henry Cavill is, unfortunately, I think. Maybe somebody I haven't thought of would be cool. But I don't well, know. Well, like I said, my other suggestions were Dan Stevens, uh, Tom Ellis from Lucifer, I think, mm-hmm. could be. My my wild out there one, I think he looks right for the role, and I think he might be good, is Kaya Novak. That's my weird... Mm. out there suggestion I think Daniel Kaluuya could do it but he might also be a bit too well known at this point I think Dev Patel could do it maybe John Boyega um, yeah again he's got Star Wars Boyega. that's the only thing well, he's great in Detroit uh, Yeah, you could tell from um, Attack the Block that he just had that leading man mm-hmm. charisma like 
from the moment you saw him, basically. Because it was down to him, Taron Egerton, and Jack O'Connell as to who was going to be the leading Kingsman. Yeah. And I think he could have done that very well as well. I think Jack O'Connell, if you were to continue down the, t- the rough Daniel Craig route, then Jack O'Connell would be another good choice for the role. Mm-hmm. What about... Um... Oh, what's the the name of the young lad that was in uh, with the Millers? Will Will Poulter? I don't know if he's. I, I don't such be... a strange looking Bond. Yeah, I... he's he's an incredible actor, but he does not fit the Bond mold. He was going to be Pennywise at one point. That would have been obviously. You need to know what the makeup would have done, but yeah, he's a really versatile actor. I mean, he was from like Son of Rambo. Mm-hmm. He was great in that. So, I think he could play a good character in a Bond film, but not necessarily that. Uh, no. Bond, maybe a villain, maybe that was the thing I forgot to mention about Octopussy, and I'll try and remember it. I think they should have made Octopussy maybe be the villain. That would have been an interesting uh, way they could have gone with Octopussy. I don't remember the film well enough. Are there any classic Bond villains you would like to see come back? Because we've had Blofeld, Knickknack. <laughs> well, I want to see a new version of Scaramanga because, like we were saying, like the, I was going to say, the Man with the Golden Gun. I think is the film that frustrates me the most because it has so much in it that's good. And so much in it that's bad in the in the Roger Moore films. I don't want us to go back, to be honest, to any of them. I think you can do something interesting with those characters. And Blofeld seemed like a really wasted opportunity. But the notion of Scaramanga, like this hired assassin that is like Bond's opposite number, mm-hmm. and that he just wants to kill Bond. He's not interested in ruling the world or anything. They put the lair in there just for the sake of it's a Bond film. He has to have a lair. But someone that just wants to kill Bond and hires an assistant. Obviously, Nick Knack. There's the comedic part to it but I love the idea that Nicknack loved fucking with Scaramanga as much as he loved fucking with Bond in the final scene you know <laughs> he was like kill Scaramanga I'll make money you know and Scaramanga's fine with it because he wants <laughs> he wants Nicknack to fuck with him as well you know when he fights that gangster at the start bring back Sean Bean have him just like he survived the entire satellite fall Trevelyan's not a bad call as far as like a, a wronged double O agent is always an interesting way to go down but I just want to get back to Scaramanga because I have my two perfect castings for Scaramanga if you came back. Either Liam Neeson or Timothy Dalton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we were supposed to have had Sean Connery come back in Skyfall, but... Yeah. He was supposed to come back and die another day. I forgot to mention that. There was going to be a scene where he bumps into Sean Connery and they basically confirmed the theory that James Bond is a code name that's handed down from agent to agent and that Sean Connery's Bond is like in a retirement home or something like that. Yeah, but they ruin that theory in Skyfall, don't they? Like, Because otherwise it could still be the case. They've ruined that theory in the previous Bond films because Roger Moore goes to his wife's grave and they alluded to Dalton also that mm-hmm. he, he'd lost his wife. So it was always meant to be the same guy. Just the idea. Well, that was another thing I was going to ask because if this is the last Bond for Craig, when they restart it, do you recast M and Q and everyone or do we still have a new Bond have Ray Fiennes as M and... I'd like the current M, Q and Money Penny to stay where yeah. they are. I quite like the... The situation. I mean, Ray Fiennes, back in the mid-90s, I would have liked to have seen Tri Bond. Yeah. So if you can't do that, M is a lovely position, because this is an M that I feel could get involved with the action more than the previous ones, which would be lovely to watch. Ben Whishaw as Q is just fucking lovely. He's just a nerdy guy. He's like Richard Ayoade playing <laughs> Q. It's fantastic. He just wants to sit down and watch Countdown. He's yeah, I'd lovely. say keep more. And then... Um, Having a money penny that you know has been in the field and can actually handle herself, that's quite good as well. So it feels like they could still be part of the team 
and I'd like to see that going forward, having them sort of retain the roles for a, at least another couple of movies. Yeah. If not well, let's longer. get to the, the thing of saying something you like about Die Another Day and yes. something you could do to improve it. And I'll say, I'll say that actually, Judy Dench's M really is one of the few consistencies. Like they give her some dumb lines, but the moment where she just says to Bond, you know, I didn't want to give you up. I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring you back. I love that there was that she always had that cold detachedness from Bond and they carried that through to the Craig films and played that up even more. That she's like, don't expect me to be your mum. I'm not your mum. <laughs> you know? And like the what you know, obviously in Goldeneye she calls him a sexist misogynist dinosaur and they carry it over to this film, you know? Although this is probably the least that Emma's given to work with out of all the four Brosnan films. I think the few moments, as you'd expect from Judy Dench, she knocks it out of the park. So that's my that's my nice thing about Die Another Day. Judy Dench, what she's given, she does what she can with it. And I like her like coldness towards Brosnan in that scene. And again, it just hinted at a different movie that they had no interest in going down once James Bond had had a clean shave and a haircut. You know, he was fine. My nice thing is that genuinely, I believe the car set piece is genuinely great like i think it's proper well constructed like with them going across the ice and stuff like that using all the different gadgets of the cars and then driving through like the cars driving through the hotel looks amazing like and it's genuinely a really well constructed really well crafted and doesn't belong in this film because none of the rest of the film is um the other thing i would say is the other positive about die another day is basically this movie was so catastrophic we had to reboot and we had to kind of rejig what bond is and i will take die another day every single time if it gives me casino royale and it gives me skyfall like so that's the positive yeah i'll, I'll, I'll back you on like, that one mate what what came afterwards was such not a game changer but getting <laughs> back on track that and to, to sort of bring audiences back in in a way that they were not expecting James Bond to succeed after all the the problems and hype they had with like bringing in Daniel Craig and people assume that a blonde man can't be Bond and then having him be injured on set and all the delays everything about that if Die Another Day sets up what came afterwards I yeah I agree with you happily take it but how would you improve Die Another Day? I mean, there's so many different ways. I mean, for me, you've got to make Jinx a better character. You've got to give a better dialogue. She has to be an equal partner to Bond in this film for there to be any chance. And not, like, I don't think she properly saves Bond really ever. And Bond saves <laughs> her at least two or three times. So just you've got to make Jinx. I think you've got to bring her in from pretty much the start. You know, maybe she could have been captured with Bond in North Korea and it was like a whole, yeah. I don't know. Just give Jinx something more. I feel you've got to stick with what it starts as. You could have a really interesting character piece here of how does Bond deal with the fact that he was just basically abandoned by his government um, and there's somebody within that government who sold him out and he doesn't know who. Yeah, played up more as a mystery. Absolutely. I think you could play this dark, you could play this more espionage-esque um, yeah. Maybe he suspects the new Q because he doesn't know that Q. Yeah, you could have stripped you know. it back, like to the kind of bare things of like Bond can't have all his flashy gadgets and stuff because what if that doesn't work? And like you could really kind of play it that way. I think that's how you make this a good film because when you start going outlandish, you lose everything. Yeah, he's being a spy, but he's spying on his own organization. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, the way I'd improve Bond is threefold. Less CGI, more practical, 
kill Madonna. <laughs> there you go. Three steps to success. Madonna's not that bad. I'd also cut back on a lot of the references to the previous films. Just be your own film. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe have a couple of nods and winks here, but don't litter your movie with just references to things that are 40 years old. Yeah. And a lot of the audience who are there at the moment who were watching that really can't remember. Like, is the main reason he's spying on Halle Berry coming out of the sea in a bikini because that's referencing a film from 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, she's literally even got the knife and the belt and everything. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 so, so on the nose, it's practically biting you <laughs> like, all the way into your throat. <laughs> <laughs> so, now it's time for... Hey, you! Don't watch that! Watch this! This is where... We make recommendations. Uh, obviously, if you're going to watch a Bond film with Pierce Brosnan, then watch GoldenEye. Pierce Brosnan was also in a good little film, well, it was a Roman Polanski film, soon after this, called The Ghostwriter, which I think was one of his better acting roles. Has it, have either of you guys ever seen The Mexican? Is that what it's no. called? Not The Mexican, sorry. The the Green... What, what is it with Greg Kinnear? Oh. Where he's sort of playing a... God, I can't even remember. Not a clue. And also The Thomas Crown Affair as well, everyone loves too. But of course, as we have guests on, uh, we like to open up the floor. So, uh, Andy, do you have a British film that you think people should be watching instead of Die Another Day? Doesn't have to be linked to Bond or, or anything. Yeah. Mine was GoldenEye. I've got to be honest. It was GoldenEye. Yeah, okay. like you told me that I could pick one, and I was like, well, if you're going to watch any Bond, you watch GoldenEye. Like, it's my by far my favourite Bond movie. Okay. It has the greatest opening of any Bond, and I think it's just all the way through a great, great film. Okay, and what's another great British film that maybe not enough people know about that you would recommend Ooh. people? Um, does Free Fire count? Because it was made by Ben Wheatley. Yeah, sure. Yeah, who's obviously a British director, but it's basically it was like him going American. Yeah, um, like he went over to America to make this film, um, and I don't think enough people saw it, which was basically just a group of people making a deal about guns, trying to kind of exchange guns, and everything goes wrong, and it's this great farce kind of all simply set in one building. An incredible cast. It's got like Army Hammer in it, Brie Larson, Shelto Coppoli, Killian Murphy. Like the cast is insane. And I just think it went so far under the radar. I saw it at a screening with Ben Wheatley actually doing a talk at the beginning. Broadway in Nottingham, uh, which is a great local cinema supporter. But yeah, basically, it. I think it flew so far under the radar, but it's so much fun. Um, it's one of those films that's just a lot of fun. It's chaos and it's great. It really is. I'm wishing that we could see a tight 95-minute Bond film directed by <laughs> Ben Wheatley. <laughs> right, social medias. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me and talk to me about Bond or anything else, it's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for November, at gmail.com at the end of that if you want to give me an email. Otherwise, find Lorcan Mullen on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. I have a podcast about wrestling called Let Me Tell You Something. I have a new podcast out uh, by the time this is coming out called 21st Films, where myself and a different guest... Uh, every episode we'll talk about a film that was released 21 years before. Tom has already agreed to do an episode of that and Andy, if you're well uh, up for it I'd be more than happy to have you be on multiple episodes in the future. I'll send you the hit list for you to take your pick from. Nice. Got guests lined up for that like Tom, now Andy, Natlet, Seema, 
loads of really cool people uh that's me tom how can people get in touch with you uh hi tom hodkinson here uh the money pay to bond you can get in touch with me at tom hodkinson put an h in tom because i'm a pretentious fuck you can find me on twitter facebook and pretty much any other social media through that way i'm also part of a double act oh no i do comedy can you imagine me trying to be funny we are at the kamikaze club uh with my other usual regular co-host mr michael bell who uh sadly isn't here because he's um in a rocket hurtling towards the earth and he's trying to pull out a bomb from it but of course our guest mr andrew tell us all about your socials if tom is our money penny does that make andy our jinx off for his own spin-off series now no andy is tanner (laughs) (laughs) i prefer jinx I like to walk out of ocean slowly. I do a podcast myself. Um, it's called the Dinosaur Man Podcast. I do it with Alex, where we basically each week we look at the movie news and movie reviews of films we've seen. But we also do like other episodes where we have like uh, Magic Cinema, where people come and pitch to their own uh, movie festival. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Just search Dinosaur Man Podcast wherever you find your podcasts. If you want to contact me, just search at Dinosaur Man 15 on Twitter or Dinosaur Man podcast on facebook but i don't really use facebook because it is scum (laughs) (laughs) i've decided recently that i'm going against facebook i don't like it anymore well please follow our facebook page uh (laughs) oh yeah you could do that you could like put this way you could follow my facebook but i will never interact with you there Contact me on Twitter and I'll speak to you. Well, our Facebook is facebook.com slash bowobpod. Bowobpod is also our Twitter handle. And bowobpodcast at gmail.com is our email address. But there's nothing left to say at this point except thank you so much, Andy, for coming on our show. Thank you. We'll have to have you back at a a future point to discuss. Because, you know, we've given you an easy time with Die Another Day. (laughs) You know, you don't you don't truly know the suffering. This this was this was surface level. You haven't you haven't yet got to what was the one at Christmas? Uh, Love Actually. No, 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 no. I'm on about the the, the murder Christmas one. Open till don't open till don't open till Christmas. Fucking terrible. The Knights of the Damned. <laughs> Knights of the with its big with its damned. big advertising on the front of its DVD that is it has more dragons than the Hobbit films. <laughs> like that's a good thing. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I'll be glad to come back. Uh, Andy, one thing we do at the end of this, uh, we have we failed with the other two, but um, you, you've heard the gag, I guess, that we've just made fun of people that have made a film and the, all that effort, whereas this week I, and then something lame that we've done that week. Do you have anything that you might be able to contribute towards this? This week I remembered that at school we used to do fantasy football, like when I was in secondary school, and every time there was a manager of the month, you would get a certificate, and I remembered that I used to put those certificates in my CV folder so when I applied for jobs, I'd give them a folder of my CVs and my manager of the month certificates for fantasy football would be in them. See, all that's done, though, is make me realise that you already have a better CV than I do. (laughs) But that's enough for us for this week. Next week, we'll be back doing the last of our bonds for this mini-series before we get into a post-bond discussion where we take all the opinions and advice from our other guests and make our final definitive lists and what have you. You say we're going to take the opinions and the the, the judgement. We're just going to throw them out the window and moan at each other for 20 minutes. But yeah, next week we'll be covering Quantum of Solace, Question of Sports, The Thingy of What's Sumptum of Boris, (laughs) with the the fantastic comedian Tom Mayhew. But we'll see you then after that next week. Bye! Bye! Love you. (laughs) 